We should at least be honest with our kids and tell them the truth about drug laws in this country. Kids, if you're going to experiment, make absolutely certain that beforehand your parents are white and well-connected. So, Sophia, welcome to the Chillinoy Podcast. Do you want another example of, uh, you want some more proof to the, you know, a huge pile uh, of evidence that prohibition doesn't work? Sure. So we've all been to the movie theater before, right? And they've got this really strict embargo or prohibition of candy, you know, from the outside. But everybody, everybody, you know, eats stuff, stuff a little bit of candy in your, uh, um, you know, your jacket or whatever else. I've got a really good friend that she says, fuck it. I am bringing in a meal. I bring in Kentucky Fried Chicken, mashed potatoes. I bring in my fucking dad pen. My, my Yeah. Obviously, uh, she's probably missing the the movie theaters nowadays because of coronavirus and all that stuff. But yeah, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make a a stupid joke about just another easy example of where prohibition doesn't work. People people do what they want to do, right? And uh, so, anyways, welcome to the Chillinoy Podcast. All lame jokes aside, why don't you introduce yourself uh, to our listeners and tell us about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Sophia Julio. I originally started off as a patient in the industry, both a patient and a recreational user, and slowly but surely worked my way up to working professionally in the industry. And it's been definitely a wild ride. I have experienced working for an MSO. I have experienced working for smaller brands that actually do social justice work. And now I'm currently working for a marketing agency within the cannabis industry called Herb. And honestly, a lot of it just truly tells about the passion that I have for this industry. My goal within the industry is to not only bring more awareness to the people that have been directly harmed by the war on drugs, but to also have fun while I do it. This industry is incredibly, incredibly hard to work in. And it's also incredibly hard to be a patient with the lens of a professional. So yeah, yeah, this journey that I've had has been wild, but I'm incredibly grateful for it. And yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoy working in this industry and I'm definitely glad to be on this podcast today and we can definitely dive into what my experience has been like working with MSOs and all of these other brands and such. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Before we go back and talk about your experience, what led you to where you are now and um, what kind of has formulated your worldview, you know, what has made you come up with these goals? Let's tell people where, uh, uh, they can find you online. So you mentioned herb that's at herb on Instagram, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So anywhere else? Yeah. So I work for herb. So yeah, right. Herb on Instagram. I also have an Instagram page at philosophia J. So basically philosophy with Sophia at the end and a J. And okay. then I can also be found at Propacana, which is P R O P A Canna. And awesome. Propaganda is also a journalism and media site that I created and founded that actually showcases and, and showcases 
the stories of those that have been directly impacted by the war on drugs and aims to take back the narrative of what it means to be a cannabis consumer. Wow. That's awesome. That's really cool. So folks, if you want to try to find, if you want to find any of those things she mentioned online, we're going to throw all those handles or that information to the podcast description. So um, make spelling easier on you guys. Right. Um, So yeah, let's, let's go back and start. Um, I always like to start and I know it's, it might feel a little cliche because I feel like every time you smoke with somebody the first time and we're smoking together right, right now. So folks listening, uh, fire it up. We're, we're smoking, chilling, and we're about to start talking. So um, I, I know it's like, it seems like probably some, a conversation you always have with somebody in their first session, but when did you start smoking? When did you cannabis come into your life? Oh man. Um, honestly, cannabis came into my life, I would say pretty early in my teens. I was like, 16, 17. And prior to that, my thought process on cannabis was that it was a bad thing to be using at the time. And then I was convinced by like my friends. And as soon as I tried it, I was like, whoa, like this is a medicine. And (laughs) and from then on, I had always regarded it in that way. Like even when I was using it recreationally and I wasn't a patient at the time, it was truly such a mind-blowing experience. It's something that can keep you so calm yet so elevated and like aware all at the same time. Just dope. That's awesome. So, uh, so what, sorry, what was the age again? I like 16, 17, 17, 16. Yeah. One of those. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's like a good, good little age to start right around when you get out of high school and stuff. And um, so we're like, Growing up, it sounded like you had the narrative that it was a bad thing. Was that like instilled into you through education, like in school and maybe at home by your parents as well? Or how how was that growing up? That's a great question. So it was a little bit of both. I grew up in a predominantly uh, Catholic environment. And so I went to school where, (laughs) you know, like literally our, (laughs) my high school had a no drug policy. We would get drug tested every quarter it was crazy and so even if you were consuming in high school yes i'm not i'm not even kidding like we literally got drug tested (laughs) it was terrible we would get chunks of our hair cut out for our drug tests it was terrible um but so along with that i also grew up in a household where cannabis was it wasn't evil by any means but it was regarded as something that like lazy people used or like you weren't going to really go anywhere if you were consuming cannabis so changing the narrative that my family had on cannabis was a huge goal for me for sure hell yeah yeah that's it's tough when you like how so was it just trying it that broke the glass for you or so I think I mean for the most part, I was around people that were consuming either way. Like okay. I was the friend who would take care of my friends. So if they were too high and they wanted to but, food, I'd be like, hell yeah, let's go do it. How'd they do it though? How'd they pass their drug tests at school? I literally don't know. Trust me. <laughs> I like once I started consuming, I don't know how I passed. I, I have a theory that like not all of the drug tests actually went. Sure. Well, <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Like that's a, that, uh, yeah, I think we just blew open the plan right there. It, that's right. a fiscally demanding thing. To... 
Right. No, I mean, yeah. if you think about it, like even if you're a, a Catholic high school making all this money every year, like you're only going to go for the students who like fit the part. You know, that was my theory yeah. in high school. That's kind of sad, though, because then, yeah, you, you see those biases play out and mm-hmm. maybe what happens is, which is what we see. I mean, it's what plays out in the criminal justice system to this day. Uh, people that, you know, look like me don't get stopped as much as somebody that's that's darker or don't oh, yeah. don't even get a conversation. So like in that context, in that context, yeah, like you say, it was probably just like, let's see him pee in the cup. And if he does it straight up, you know, he's right. good. But if he like hesitates a little bit, we should actually. Yeah, that's so crazy that you could see those biases. And I yeah. Anyways, sorry, that that's just wild to me. I've never heard about uh, high school's drug testing before. Yep. That's mm-hmm. it's unfortunate I, I mean i'm assuming that they still do it i mean even in covid which i always is- make this joke can i ask you you know they say they're a drug-free school they had coffee in the main office though all the time right and every teacher was drinking their coffee <laughs> god forbid they started their day without their coffee right caffeine addictions are totally fine but you know <laughs> yeah. utilizing a plant that helps you right well it's just kind of like uh it's kind of like you know when people say drugs and alcohol as if like alcohol is like wait wait, wait a minute alcohol is in that Venn diagram don't put it into a separate circle like it's you know anyways um okay so when did is that around the time that you started to notice I mean you you just said that like you had this theory in your head that um maybe justice wasn't being carried out equally with regard to that is did is that where you started noticing things in terms of like at my high school or just society as a whole yeah like society as a whole like I I feel like as at a young age maybe you like grip onto that like why yeah or some people kind of just get out of it but some people right um again such a great question I think for me it it was a gradual thing I think that in high school I thought of I thought of it a lot as like more of a punishment rather Mm -hmm. than like what's going on in our government Um, because I always like envied people who lived in Colorado and California, these places where it was already medically legal or becoming medically legal. And I always thought to myself, even at that young age, why is it not okay for our entire country to have like medical marijuana? You know what I mean? Um, and so I think it just slowly, like I slowly became more aware of the injustices within the industry from that standpoint. And then the older that I got, the more that I realized that it wasn't something that just had to do with how you use cannabis and how, you know, you treat yourself, but also, you know, how people have been treated historically for their cannabis use as a whole. And that I feel like is what sparked me to want to, you know, fight the good fight towards a just cannabis industry, which right now it's definitely not looking that just in my eyes. Yeah, not at all. Um, so get, you get out of high school, right. um, you start becoming more aware of these things. Did you go straight into college and did you meet any like cool new people that like, where you like kind of get um, to expand more of those views? Yeah, absolutely. So when I went off to college, um, I ended up actually like becoming the stoner friend, right? And again, because of that and because of my 
short like introduction to cannabis. It was re really a discovery phase for me going mm -hmm. into college. Um, and so because of that, I kind of became the friend who did all of the research and who wanted to go and volunteer for different nonprofits and who wanted to learn about how, you know, medical marijuana could come to Illinois or how we could legalize here. And so going into or like my my formative years of college, the first couple years, it was just me kind of learning because at the time I wasn't even of age to really do much other than just research. And all of my friends didn't really care as much as I did about what was going on in the cannabis industry, you know, not only in Illinois, but in California, Colorado, Washington, et cetera. So I want to say it was around, I, I believe like 19 or 20 when I first started just going to various cannabis events that were like underground, right. Where we yeah. kind of all start where, you know, we start meeting people that are older than us that are mentors, like, and from then on, I just realized that the industry was so much bigger than just smoking a joint and relaxing that it was yeah. about community and that it was about, you know, lifting one another up in the same way that you get lifted. Right. And so then I started attending these events and I then started volunteering through those events, through people who like actually worked within the cannabis industry already in Illinois. So like Illinois Women in Cannabis, for example, who I yes. volunteer for right now is a nonprofit that I started like researching about and volunteering for way back then. And so now I work with them. Um, as their co-chair for their social equity committee, their social equity and advocacy committee. And that's just one of many examples of how I grew from like this teenager who knew nothing to someone who actually goes out there and advocates for justice within the industry. Yeah. Well, I want to give a quick shout out to our friend, Mike Malcolm, because I think what you just demonstrated or what you described was when you went to those underground, um, events that you were quickly accepted and taken under the wing by your mentors. And I got to give a shout out to him because he has embodied that give and gain. And he taught me that uh, he's the first person that ever taught me kind of the, the concept of how good it is. Give, get, you give, you gain. You, and then somebody else expounded upon that actually in a podcast I did recently. He's uh, the, Canada's first uh, weed cooking show cooked on the couch. Um, he said living is giving or giving is living. I always mix up which way, but it works both ways. Right. Yeah. And uh, I love that about the cannabis industry. And like you say, it's, it really is all about lifting each other, not only, you know, sitting down with a joint with a good person and getting lifted, but lifting each other up, like literally giving each other opportunities, you know, um, or at least that's the hope. We'll obviously talk about how, you know, the hope for opportunity in Illinois isn't really so much, but I don't want to get into that just yet. I want to continue your story. Um, so 2019, 2020 started going to like underground events. Then you started actually talking to licensed people in the state of Illinois is that in, in women in cannabis mm -hmm. um, and things started to speed up, huh? because yeah. you're starting to meet a lot of people know a lot of people yeah honestly I 
people are like my favorite. I honestly just love networking, love meeting people and love figuring out ways that I can help the people around me, you know, even in college or high school and college as a friend that was just helping everybody out in any way that I could. It's the same thing in the industry, you know, whether it's being the person who just has people to like smoke out or going out there and advocating for those who don't have the same platforms as my own. So yeah, the networking at the different events just put me in the right rooms, I would say. And because Mm -hmm. in college, um, the more passionate that I got, well, basically I was going back and forth between college, my college town and Chicago and like going to these events because, you know, in my college town, there was nothing, you know, it was this small town that nobody cared about. Cannabis was not really accepted in that community. Um, So it was, it was a lot of hard work actually, but in that hard work, again, I, I, I met some dope people and got into the, the right rooms. And because I started volunteering, I started actually doing research on the effects of recreational drugs in college on, uh, during my senior year, which was like 2019. And then after that is when I decided for myself, um, after, you know, learning an extensive amount of history on the war on drugs, uh, or the history of the war on drugs and how incredibly racist the cannabis industry has been for generations, it really just prompted me to actually go and work in the cannabis industry so I can actually make a change. And I honestly just started researching, applying, and that's when I got my first job out of college. So what'd you, what, where'd you get a job at? Uh, I started working for an MSO called Grassroots and um, they're now Cureleaf. So they were acquired by Cureleaf while I was working there. For and my really first quick, yeah. really quick, just because uh, people listen, they listen to our podcast know, but describe what an MSO is, please. I, sure, I don't want to slow it down. <laughs> so an MSO is a multi-state operator. Um, yep. A majority of the MSOs are vertically integrated vertically integrated or vertical integration basically means that they do everything from seed to sale. So they have cultivation centers and they also have retail fronts, um, transportation, transportation. Yep. All that. Yep. Yep. Okay. So anyway, sorry, you got a job at grassroots. Uh, we just threw MSO around a few times. (laughs) And so if people were listening for their first time, I wanted to make sure we described what that was. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So Grassroots, um, now Curely, if I, I had applied actually for a completely different position that I actually got um, onboarded for. But so I, I joined during a time where they had a, um, God, what is it called? They had a rotational program, basically. So myself and two other women who had been recent college graduates were onboarded to go through this rotational program and learn about marketing, HR, uh, retail, and like talent acquisition within the cannabis industry, within grassroots as a whole, and kind of just help those teams out. And then where we excelled at is where we would be placed, right? Okay. So that's, that's, it was called the associate program. So basically I was an associate straight out of college. And during that time, um, my experience was okay. It wasn't incredibly terrible, but 
So you you I don't mean to slow you down again, but you were right. an associate at Grassroots. Right. I was an associate at Grassroots. That was my first title. Um, mm. And while being that's very vague, sorry, I know, right? <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, it's it's super vague, but that's that's what it was at the time. I, sound, I mean, and and I, you could make it work to where it sounds pretty official. Like I'm an associate at Grassroots, but then at right. the same time, you could be like, I'm not, I'm an associate at Grassroots. I don't know. It's just, anyways, right. I'm not. I'm trying to insert a little comedy in here because I already see where this is going. I think. Um, right. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, when I first started, I was like ecstatic. I was so happy because sure. I'm like, oh my God, I'm working in this industry. I I was just excited because it was my first like big girl job outside of college. Yeah. Um, but kind of moving into the role, it was a lot. I mean, the cannabis industry is incredibly volatile. So learning about that right out of college was, it was like my dream. My dream was still there, but it, it, it was also just like a little... Um, eye-opening and not only that but a majority of the people that I was working with didn't look like me you know I'm a Latina I'm a woman and a majority of the people that I worked with were like white men or people again that just didn't look like me and so being the youngest in the office literally the youngest in the office it was hard to feel like what I wanted out of the industry mattered at this big corporate uh, company and during the merger between Grassroots and Cureleaf, um, my program, the associate program, was dissolved. So basically where I was originally placed, like as an associate and the other two women as associates, we just, just got placed in the departments that we had already started in. So basically we were just working for HR or marketing or retail versus mm-hmm. actually rotating through those departments. Okay. So whatever you, you know, you were hired as an associate, which is, again, right. I'm making the joke about it being vague. So if you start, since they were just basically throwing you around, if let's say you started in marketing, they were like, they looked at your paper and they're like, okay, so we're dissolving the associate program. <clears throat> uh, so Sophie, uh, Sophia, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I just saw it spelled Sophie. So I, w- I wanted to make sure I wasn't saying it wrong. I'm high, you know. I can say it either um, so- way. <laughs> okay. Sophia um, started in marketing. So we're sending her back to marketing, even though maybe you were doing really good in operations or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. I'm just throwing out hypotheticals. Yeah, no, but that's like basically what happened. And so it was at the time for myself and the other two girls, it was a little bit like unfulfilling because you know, we were looking forward to learning. We were looking forward to, you know, how we could grow within our own careers. And so I had then started working in the talent acquisition department and I then worked my way into a recruiter position. So I, my new title was a junior talent acquisition analyst. So I learned to interview candidates and hire candidates for all different kinds of roles um, from like just your regular bud tender to people working in the cultivation centers. And that was fun because I got to just talk to people who were also passionate about the cannabis industry. Um, But it wasn't like my ultimate goal. So continuing to work for grassroots was a lot when your company was going through a merger, like a big merger within the cannabis industry. I mean, now Cureleaf is one of the largest companies in 
the cannabis industry. And again, it was, it was eye-opening to see the real time, the faults of people working in the cannabis industry that actually aren't passionate about the cannabis industry and care more about the profit behind the cannabis industry. Right. I mean, they were just literally looking at you guys as bodies and you're like, okay, where this body start? All right, throw them back in there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, there was not one time where I think during that position or any of the positions that I had really at that job that I felt like it mattered. Like I felt like the work that I wanted to do was not happening because I had to go out of my way to continue like volunteering for nonprofits to actually see some change within the industry. See, that's something that everybody, it's so depressing to hear, but I want to point it out. People get into the cannabis industry with these really high, sorry, pun intended, hopes and intentions. Um, and uh, they get it like beat out of them, you know, because it's not, yep. and it's not that, like, that's just simply not what these people are about. They're just, they are about being profitable um you know uh and that's it profits 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 right you know and it's abundantly clear so yeah unfortunately and you know I at the time because it was something that I was just coming to a realization about it wasn't like I really had too many people who had experience working for MSOs Mm -hmm. so it felt like I was just this little itty bitty me like fighting the big machine type of thing you know yeah um like you're fighting yeah, against so, the tide yeah definitely oh for sure and then at the same time you know there's only a few co-workers that also feel the same way so it's like you you can't you really couldn't win because you really didn't have much of a say and if you did like even some of the things that you wanted to happen your ideas like hypothetically could be taken under somebody else's wing you know what i'm saying so yeah do you have any examples of that because i've heard of stuff like that um take so things, you know? for example like let's say myself who's an associate has a super awesome idea to work with a nonprofit within the industry that's really big that's nationwide yeah. and you know gets in contact with these directors and and has all these ideas and tells them like we should you know make this happen and and they say that hypothetically they want to like feature you and you know have you be a part of like the leadership and like the social justice reform that this company will eventually like you know carry on to do sure and that just doesn't happen and somebody else in a higher position who again doesn't look like you um gets the job or like gets the the major role in it yeah Yeah. or stops it right so those are the type of things that I had experienced while working with an MSO or for an MSO I should say and um I mean moving on from that role again wasn't really even something that I was um experienced in like we there was major layoffs because of COVID and the merger. So that again was something that I had never experienced before out of college. And it was recent, like September of this year, but I'm honestly incredibly grateful for it because I wouldn't be doing what I do now 
if that didn't happen or I potentially wouldn't be doing what I do now if that didn't happen. Yeah. So do you mind telling us just kind of like, I don't mean to make you go into too many details or anything, but yeah. How did you get to where you are now from, you know, you know, COVID and everything else? What? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, following that, uh, that layoff from my like first position with grassroots, mm-hmm. I, you know, examined what I wanted to continue doing in the industry and what I wanted to do the entire time, which was, you know, um, give platforms to people who don't have the same platforms that I do and who don't have the same privileges that I do like in the industry. And the best way that I thought about doing that was like through policy and advocacy and like marketing. And um, I actually had during my time, you know, coming out of college and, and working at grassroots, became friends with a girl. Her name is Jean. Um, she goes by like Jean and Jane 420 uh, on Instagram. And she owns Movement and Medicine. And Movement and Medicine is a community of, uh, you know, like minded ind- individuals within the cannabis industry. And she hosts different events where people can come together as a community get to know one another and help each other heal. And so through her, I met another nonprofit called Tree Femme Collective. Um, and Tree Femme Collective was founded by, actually was founded or co-founded by Jean, uh, along with uh, two women, their names are Tori and Lauren, Tori Baxter, Lauren Cruz. And uh, through that introduction, they hosted events with Jean that I had been to. And around the time that I had been laid off from my previous position, they had started an internship in marketing. Um, and so I just joined their, their uh, team of interns as a uh, social media management and community outreach intern. And see, that's a title. Right. It, that's a great title, right? Like it's not yeah. vague. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it means something. Right. Exactly. Hell yeah. And uh, honestly, I'm incredibly grateful. So, so incredibly grateful for Jean and the entire Tree Femme Collective. Um, and, and Tree Femme Collective as a whole is a collective of different artists and advocates and um, just hmm people working for social justice within the cannabis industry. And I'm also now a part of the collective via my internship with them. And yeah. And so that's kind of how that uh, evolved. And from there, because the internship, uh, you know, had to come to an end at some point, um, I, oh man, I've done so much in the industry. (laughs) I think about it. I'm just thinking of all the things that are like, uh, pinpointing to me where I am now. But yeah, so while I was doing my internship before it ended, I started, um, I, I became a mentee in a men- in a mentee mentor program called mm-hmm. This Is Our Dream. And This Is Our Dream uh, was started by a woman named Hillary. Her name is Hillary Yu and she's the founder. And basically it's a program that connects mentees and mentors within the industry uh, for people who want to start a business in the industry or grow within the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mentor, her name is Annabelle um, Worrell. She 
works for Flocana or Flocana and that's out in California. And so she basically helped me like through my process of finding a new position of working as a social media manager and community outreach intern and really just guided me through those ropes. And when I was looking for a new position, I had reached out to a whole bunch of different people that I'd met and Hillary from This Is Our Dream and This Is Our Academy had told me about a position that was open uh, that her friend knew about at Herb. And at the time I was like, holy shit, like Herb. I've been obsessed with Herb for however many years because I just loved their marketing strategies and I loved their page and the community that they built. So yeah. she asked me if I wanted to, um, you know, see if I could interview for that. So I did. And then she introduced me to Nadir. His, his name is Nadir Pearson, who he is like this amazing um, advocate and influencer within the industry. And he was the first person who I actually spoke to who had worked for Herb at the mm -hmm. time. And he does a lot of like social media management. And he introduced me to that team. And then we interviewed, like I interviewed with that that uh with matt and rob and now i work for herb and i've been doing um key account management so i'm a key account manager with herb and basically i'm like the middleman between herb and our clients and nice. uh it's definitely been a wild like two years of growth of learning in the cannabis industry and how crazy and random and awesome it can be all at the same time like when i look back on being an associate at a company that made it feel like they were supposed to be for their employees, but weren't to like, you know, growing into a position with a company that actually gives a shit about its employees and like about the community. You know, I'm working with people who are incredibly passionate and talented. And I didn't think that that would happen in like a million years back yeah. then. So, Well, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm happy for you. That's, that's so, that's such a cool story. Um, can you tell us, I don't mean to put you on the spot and I don't mean to make you speak for Herb at all, um, but can you just tell the listeners like a little bit about Herb and what, you know, it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So Herb is a, is, is one of the largest like marketing agencies um, or I would say firms within the cannabis industry. So we create marketing campaigns for various brands within the industry, but we also partner with different nonprofits in the industry that, um, you know, are key players in terms of like social justice and social justice movements, like the Bail Project or LPP, like Last Prisoner Project, um, or even Tree Femme Collective. That's that's a yeah. new partnership that we're working on. Or <laughs> cool. On in the that's future, really cool. Right? Right. We love making those connections, but yeah, so we do a lot of campaigns for our, for different brands that are our clients basically. That's awesome. Cool. Thanks for, thanks for explaining that. So, um, so I, one thing I didn't ask, but I feel like I just assumed, are you a Chilinois local, Chilinois born and raised? Yeah, I, so I grew up in Chicago, born and raised, yeah. live in Chicago now, and uh, I went to school in Southern Illinois. So Okay. It's been around Illinois, I it, guess. And if you mentioned that earlier, we, we were at the beginning of the joint and it was my first smoke of the day. So I was like, I feel that. 
No, I don't. I, I got like some of the details I forget. So if you did mention that already, but that's awesome. Chillinois local. I love having uh, anybody's always welcome, right? You know, I'm not. I'm not a, what, what do they call it in a Colorado? I see it a lot. Nativists. There's a lot of like people that are like, oh, the people that moved in after this year, like they're right. all the, and it's such a, it's literally representative of a whole other ugly mentality, oh. which we don't necessarily have to get into, of course, because I, I would rather keep it on positive topics, but it's really emblematic of, um, yeah, just not good things. So people in Colorado, chill out. You know, it's a beautiful place. Let people come in and enjoy your legal weed and pay the tax dollars. And yeah, anyways, um, so what do you, th- you know, just to get back to Illinois, <clears throat> what do you think about the Illinois cannabis market as it is today? Um, that's a whole can of worms. Um, I mean, yeah. truthfully, I think that Illinois has a lot of work to do um, or our representatives had a lot, have a lot of work to do, even our community as well. Um, you know, Chicago especially is like huge on community and outreach and being there for one another. And I think that there's this huge divide between, um, I would say like newer age cannabis consumers who are just happy to see this market growing within Illinois and in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then the OG people, um, and consumers who have actually been hurt by this industry, who have been hurt uh, by our criminal justice system here in Illinois, and you know who still have family members and loved ones that are currently incarcerated for this plant. So I think that overall, um, the the intentions are there, you know, to a certain extent to make the cannabis industry here in Illinois better. But right now it's in my eyes and, and having worked in it for a, a little while now, it's definitely, um, there's a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I saw this, I was looking at, uh, Illinois legislation. I went through all the house bills. Um, I haven't gotten right. through all the Senate bills yet. And of course, folks, these, things can die and uh you know they can never they can not even have a hearing you know so there's actually a couple bills for delivery licenses Mm -hmm. um that i saw there's one for bring your own cannabis which allows um yeah authorities of a county or municipality may license or regulate businesses operating as a public accommodation that permit the consumption of cannabis on the business premises so pretty cool it uh, provides an exception to the illinois smoke free act which is something that um i believe was already written into the crta like uh uh, which is what legalized adult use cannabis in the state of illinois for our listeners it was like uh it allowed we've had people from grownin.com who are much smarter than me tell us that uh if you had a smoke lounge because you had the license to be a smoke lounge like a hookah lounge you could open up for cannabis consumption or if you were a tobacco shop you could open up or sorry uh um or if you were a dispensary that was the other option so if you've got a smoke lounge or if you were a dispensary you could open a consumption lounge well of course covid happened so i really feel like that's what put a stimmy on it but or a you know whatever on it um but there's uh it looks like there's other things uh coming around i think it's actually um 
yeah, I'm not sure what it is, folks. So I'm not going to sit here and act like I do. But there are a bunch of cannabis laws going through uh, the the process right now. There's actually an interesting one on bank and credit unions. Mm-hmm. Um, this one I found interesting. It said that you know a dispensing organization must be located at least 500 feet from a facility that provides treatment for substance abuse. Do we do that with liquor stores? I don't think so. Um, so uh, let's see here. There, there's a few other things. I saw a proposal for a cannabis control commission, which would consist of uh, seven members um, and an executive director to be appointed by the governor. And basically they would um, oversee um, and enforce provisions of the act for cultivation centers, craft growers, infusers. Sounds some of these things sound good, but like I say, I don't know if they'll right. ever see the like light of the day. Great on paper, but yes. it's like, are they actually? First of all, are they actually going to get voted in? And you know, how yeah. many like people that are actually again like not only qualified to be doing this and like know their shit about cannabis, right. but like are com- are passionate and compassionate about the people like in in our communities like in these positions you know yeah um, well and my thing is i looked through all the house bills granted there could be a senate bill that's proposed that i didn't see because i've right. not looked through any of the senate bills but I looked through all the house bills and there's not one house bill about home grow for all people and that needs to just happen yeah. it's cra- it's so so here's my thing like you said i, I agree with you so much uh there's so much uh room for improvement here in Illinois. Um, one of the main things I think is that cannabis, I like get frustrated. I, I, I hate, I always told myself I'm never going to be a politician. Cause I don't like saying the same thing over and over again, but I want to make sure people hear it, you know? So people, if you've heard this on the podcast, I'm sorry if you've heard it a lot, but cannabis, I've always questioned cause we like, everybody's like, we have legal cannabis. And I'm like, is it legal though? Because like uh, I I argue that it's legal to sell. It's crazy because we have and it's legal to buy technically, but anything after that it gets real vague. It's very vague. It's pretty clear that you know, like you give me cash, I'll give you some shitty bud. I was like, maybe they don't say that, but that's the case in Illinois, right? Um, but uh, sorry, I just like to insert humor every once in a while, but um you know, it's pretty clear on the transaction. Oh, and they're very clear about not giving you a refund, by the way. God forbid you get a refund on, pro- well, we won't get into that. Um, I just think it's interesting. Yeah, it's only legal to sell and buy. Everything after that gets vague. And if you have in certain circumstances, like if you're just a regular adult without a medical cannabis card, if you have over 30 grams at a certain point, I think on your subsequent offense, that can become a felony. Um, I think on your first, it might be like a class A misdemeanor. Um, there's a lot of instances where you can get class A misdemeanors still, like the transportation laws, which I actually saw a, propo- a, a proposed change to that language as well on a house bill. I forgot to mention that. So hopefully that goes away because it's, just, it's crazy because I don't know if you knew this, but before the CRTA or before we had adult use, right. when we had decriminalization, if you got pulled over and you just had a bag of weed in your pocket, it'd be like $250 ticket. Well, now it's a class A misdemeanor because you're not transporting cannabis correctly. They defined right. transportation now. Like a, a childproof yeah, chill, sealed oh, childproof container, that whole thing. And I, I get that, I guess. Um, but I just think, I think possession limits are so stupid. I think it's so stupid that you can 
buy it, but you can still get in trouble for having it. I think it's stupid. You can't grow it. It's a fucking plant. It, right. It's, it's literally like a medicine. It's a medicine. And the fact that you can also still get in trouble for smoking in your backyard or front yard at the expense yeah. of your neighbors potentially seeing you like, mm-hmm. excuse me? Like what? I, I just, I actually not, you know, it's to take, I think they take it even further. Like they basically, the way that it's written and the way that a lot of people interpret it. Yes, you're right. It's ridiculous that you can't do it in your front and back here. That's like, it's like, you know, cause people ride around on their lawnmowers with a beer in their hand. Right. But I've seen it, you know, so, um, but, uh, they, the way it reads, like, you gotta have the fucking shades drawn. You gotta make sure people can't see you, which is yeah. funny because they have it written that way with regard to like, you know, no public consumption, but then also in the CRTA, there is, you know, the consumption lounge language, you know? So it's like, right. it's like you can only consume in your closet or if you pay us to come to our fucking lounge, that's where you right. can consume, you know? <laughs> Private so. property is totally cool, but anything outside of that, like. Yeah, yeah. You know. So sorry, I don't mean to rant, but uh, no. I that's my, that's kind of my big room for improvement rant. Like possession limits need to go. And I know that that sounds, I, I guess maybe to you or to some people that listen to this podcast, it's not that radical, but to some people for some reason, like, the possession limit thing is like something that we can't part with. But I, I asked those people like, what else do you have a possession limit for? Like I can go to the fucking liquor store right now and get as much alcohol as I want, as much as I can fit in my car. You know, I guess I could throw some on top. There's, I mean, yeah, sure. There's nothing stopping me. Like cigarettes and, you Except know, cigarettes. I mean, it depends. Now we're on- seeing proposals for THC limits, which yeah, have you seen oh, no. it's popping up in different states? I think even in Colorado, California, Washington. There's a few different states that I've seen. It'll probably die. I hope it dies because I mean, the I thing is, like, you know, you can go and get Everclear from the liquor store, and uh, you could kill yourself in two shots with that. You'd go into shock, you know. So. Right. Right. I mean even though like terpenes are super important and like THC percentages are not like the sole thing that makes right. cannabis what it is like that, like why, why would we even consider limiting that? Like, yeah. What What's is the point? Like, right. What is the point? Do you, do you remember like what their, I don't know. Side uh, of the was? Nope. No, they just, they say that, that basically the line of logic is it's an old line of logic that we've talked about um, on the show. I have to pull it up again sometime and read it. Actually. Yeah. If, if if we want to Google it, folks um, it's called the myth of increased potency. I think if we put cannabis, uh, let's see here. Hold on a second, folks. Damn it. If I can't find this right now, there it is. Okay. Thread on the myth of cannabis potency so it's posted by dana larson and in the 90s so first of all he posted this because and we've played this clip on the show trump's u.s surgeon general you remember the guy with the lisp i don't mean to point out you know what no i'm gonna make fun of his list because i have a lisp and i'll make fun of a lisp if i want to so i i struggle with with a lisp yes i do 
<laughs> I, maybe not maybe, anymore. Maybe I'm just high. You know, it's been a hard battle, and maybe that, that's progress that you didn't notice it. But anyways, <laughs> sorry. I'm again just trying to insert comedy. But he said, I think it was around August 31st, because this is when he made this tweet. Um, this ain't your mother's marijuana. Not enough people know that today's marijuana is far more potent than in days past. And so he says, sounds like the weed they smoked back in the 1990s must have been pretty weak, right? Well, let's see what they were saying about marijuana potency at the time. In 1995, U.S. drugs are told the media that marijuana is 40 times more potent today than 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, Joe Biden, Senate Judiciary Committee chair at the time, um, said uh, he was talking about how strong marijuana had become. It's like comparing a buckshot and a shotgun shell to a laser guided missile. <laughs> I mean, thank God for genetics, in my opinion, and these amazing yeah. cultivators and growers. What it ends up being, though, is you just go back through the years, 1960s, they were saying it was like, um, you know, seven times stronger, or sorry, in the 80s, seven times stronger than in 75, they were saying 20 times stronger than the 60s, and then, um, you know, so on and so forth. So if you do the equation, if we take it all at face value, modern weed is three times 40 times seven times 15 times stronger which wakes, makes one modern joint equivalent to 12,600 joints of the 1960s variety, which of course is just enumerating that it's all bullshit. So right. I would imagine that that's what their claims are based in. They're like, oh, um, you know, increased THC, we see a relation with schizophrenia or whatever people try to make a link between. And it's like, I think the truth of the, and I'm not a medical professional at all, but I think what I've heard about those cases is that like drug use, young drug abuse, young is bad pretty much in all cases and marijuana, not excluding. And so, you know, too much of anything can be a bad thing. Right. Um, I'm a big advocate of responsible use of cannabis. So, um, you know, I think too much of anything, you might see something bad happen, but that's a whole other, whole other tangent. So, um, it, room to improve in Illinois to get back to what we were talking about. Right, um, right, absolutely. So much room to improve, and and what yeah. do you think at the at the national level? Just to to, to zoom out before you know, uh, we'll we'll start wrapping up the show here in a, a little bit because it's just about dinner time for both of us. So I don't want to take any more of your time, but we'll zoom out and what are your thoughts on a national level? How, what's your outlook right now? Um, I mean, I would love to see like federal legalization for cannabis for sure yeah. but along with that there needs to be you know reparations made to again those that have been harmed by the war on drugs for this entire not even that but just like prior to the war on drugs the history of cannabis itself i think that there just needs to be uh more funds allocated to giving mm -hmm. back to those who are you know, currently incarcerated for cannabis use or possession, obviously nonviolent crimes, but also, you know, giving back to those who ha are, have been formally incarcerated and, um, you know, people maybe, you know, they haven't even been incarcerated, but giving back to those who have been stigmatized by their, you know, just for their cannabis use. And yeah. so I, I mean, really some people have lost their right to vote. Right. Know, because of they're, it. They're Felonies. 
there needs to be a lot of social justice reform. And so I'd love to see a legal, um, a legalization across the states, but I'm also worried of the outcome of. Yeah, same here. That's what I was just going to bring up. I've talked to Mike about that. Like, you know, we'd love to see uh, decriminalization and people, you know, at first I was actually kind of uh, uh, against, I felt like that was like a conservative approach, but I actually see, I think maybe there's possible value in it. So you decriminalize it. In other words, you make it so that it's not a criminal offense anymore at a, just across the board. Right. But then like, as far as, you know, legalizing it and licensing and everything else, like, I don't know that I want to open that up at the federal level because then you have people like Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. Miller Lite, mm-hmm. you know, uh, other companies that you know, Monsanto, yeah, like I, I'm worried. Yeah. That they would yeah. just make it impossible. And so, I think that, yeah, decriminalization um, and banking, banking needs to happen. Like, uh, you know, they need to be able to access funding and be able to put their money in the bank without having to worry about that. Cause you probably had to deal with that as a employee, you know, jumping through those hoops. Yeah. Even still, but I, I, you know, and along with that, with decriminalization or legalization, the ability to even do research, like more research about cannabis and, and, um, its benefits like it's already hard unless you live in a state that has medical or recreational cannabis so i think we yeah. need to open up those avenues so that we can learn more about the benefits of cannabis okay well before we let you go um justine come here i don't mean to put you on the spot and i'm sorry for the listeners uh that can't see this but can you show my girlfriend your nails um because they're yeah. awesome Oh my God. I love it. Oh my yeah, God. I, I had to save this comment cause I knew Justine would be out here. So I was like, I gotta save. I, I like noticed it and I was like, I gotta, yeah. So are you guys in Chicago? I can refer you to my girl, but <laughs> no, we're not in Chicago. <laughs> oh, we're not yeah, in Chicago. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll have to bring you back on sometime. And she just got off work. So we'll have to formally introduce you. She was also an industry professional and stuff. So I'm sure oh, you guys nice. so she have it. a lot yeah she gets it for sure much more than i do you know i've heard secondhand stories and stuff and i've talked to a lot of people like you but i don't get it in the sense that i didn't live it right so um yeah well remind people where we can find you online we'll throw it in the podcast description as well folks but yeah remind us where we can find you online yeah absolutely uh so my instagram handle my personal instagram handle is philosophia j like spelled like philosophy but with Sophia at the end and uh Propacana P-R-O-P-A-C-A-N-N-A both of those you can find me there awesome cool well thank you so much for your time today I look forward to talking to you again in the future because I know that your um yeah your your path so far like your trajectory has just been like so like um I can't wait to see where you go and uh wherever where this opportunity at Herb takes you um and thanks for being easy to like work with and coming on the show you know and uh because we i'm sure our listeners appreciate these perspectives absolutely i'm definitely glad to be here and i mean thank you for even giving people this platform you know like it's great to see people doing the good work and even this even though this is the first time that we actually spoke and spoke smoked and spoke together yeah. like see i'm already high i can't even speak um <laughs> this is what i do to people 
Right. Yeah, you do. But I'm just happy to be here and uh, appreciative that we have this talk. Yeah. On that note, folks that are listening, uh, if you go to chillinoynet slash contact, this show is yours. Like I, you t- it was pretty easy to work out a showtime, right? We were just like, Hey, was. I was like, when, yeah. And then shoot you a zoom link. We hop on the only requirement. I'm joking. This isn't a requirement folks. I, I, I asked that you bring cannabis, right? Um, but, but you don't have to, I'm not trying to, you know, we've got professionals on here. Like I couldn't get the, the, some of the professionals to smoke. I was like, Hey, come on. You got, I know you have some around. He's like, I've got some around, but I'm not going to do that on air. It's like, I understand. Cause I'll get y'all high, you know? So anyways, um, yeah. anyways though. Yeah, folks. Uh, sorry. I got, I always get off on a weird tangent. Um, <laughs> If you want to come on the show, the, the show's yours. We're, you know, we're a platform. We want to be like an air horn to the people. Um, so reach out and uh, thank you for um, telling the folks how easy it was. Cause hopefully that encourages them to, to oh, reach nice. out and share their story and uh, their experience perspectives, all that good stuff. So thank you so much again for your time today. We will keep in touch. Um, and I wish you the best of luck in your future. Oh, thank you. You too. Can't wait.